Greetings, everyone, and welcome to WriteBrain, a podcast about writing and crowdfunded publishing. My name is Jean-François Dubot, or J.F. Dubot. I am going to be one of your hosts, and the other person that's going to be one of your hosts is my friend Paul Inman. Paul, how are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm glad to be back again this week for our official episode number one. How's your week going so far? My week, as if my voice doesn't betray it, I'm flustered and, and distracted and tired because my week has been one of those weeks. Not Oh, no. Well, no, no. It hasn't been a bad week, but it's been a demanding week. One of the, one of the things that's kind of cool about... The, uh, the 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 trying to be a an author is that I still have the day job thing and I I'm, I'm a consummate employee I like to do my job and I like to do it well and yeah. it's, it's nothing wrong with that well the, the problem with that is that there's a second job <laughs> the, well yeah that's true <laughs> the author thing is is not a it's not as fire and forget as I thought it would be like I thought I would be done writing the book I would give it to a publisher and then they would take care of everything but. There's there's promotion, there's marketing, and I'm trying to promote a second book, which is a stupid, stupid mistake. So I'm not complaining. It's everything I do is fun, from my job to the promotion to the writing to preparing for the next book. All of it is super fun, but I can't drop the ball on any of it, and it's all very demanding. I know exactly what you mean. I actually just finished my first round of edits and turned them in a couple of days ago, and I'm like, Wow, I can sit back and relax right now, except for I can't because in my email almost, you know, two days later, I got, here's, you know, your second round of book covers. What do you like? What do you don't like? And also, let's start looking at the um, inner um, setup. What do you like here? What kind of fonts are we looking at? What are we doing there? Here's some examples, you know, and I'm like, man, you know, I actually got a other, you know, job that I get, you know full-time job, I should say, not just get paid for, because I actually do earn a little money with writing, which is amazing, by the way. Um, so, you know, it's really like, and, and like you said, demanding. For, for a lot of people that would think, yeah, but what's approving a cover? It's, it sounds like fun. And you're absolutely right, dear listener. It is, it is, it is. so much fun. Very awesome, actually. It is also an hour of your life that you will be spending looking at the cover, trying to figure out if it's exactly what you want, if there's any changes you want, and then sending that cover to a bunch of friends and family, asking for their opinion, going back mm -hmm. and forth. And all of that just, it, it sounds stupid, but it all of it takes a bit of time, and just granularly, eventually, you wind up that you don't have evenings anymore. And, you know, if you're like me, you scrutinize over every single little detail. Like, I seriously look at every single inch of every design of the cover that they send to me. And I'm like, okay, I like this little piece here. That little piece I don't like so much. This little piece I really, really like. And, you know, if you look at this cover, overall, these things don't flow together. But this little bit is really cool. And this little bit is really cool. And what if we tried putting these together? And then, you know, it's just really like... Every bit of the, the little details just eat up your time. And it's really a lot of fun for me. But, you know, I'm I'm busy and so are you. Like you were just telling me before we started that, you know, yesterday was, we're recording Saturday. Yesterday was Friday. And um, you said that you were at your actual full-time job, you know, working extra late. And that's really no good on a Friday for anybody, you know, so. No, and I mean... 
I'm, I'm a designer by trade, so what you're saying about scrutinizing covers and scrutinizing the layout of the interior is, I, I, I hear you, man. I hear you. It's, <laughs> this, this is exactly what I do. And to me, that's the part that's also just an extension of my day job. So it's, mm-hmm. it's fun because now I'm doing it for a project that I like, something I'm passionate, something that's part of me, but it's, right. it's more job. So I'm, I'm, I'm really not complaining. Like, let's be clear. I am, <laughs> I would not, I would not trade this position and the, the, the forward momentum and everything that's happening as far as writing books and becoming an author. I wouldn't trade any of that process out for anything, but let's just, it, gets it, tiring, it does you know? get it tiring. tiring. And if it shows in my voice, I really apologize to our listeners, but that's, that's just, that's just an artifact. And also this, this podcast thing is, uh, that, that came up as a bit of a surprise also. <laughs> it, it did. It did. We were just kind of like testing the waters here. And next thing we know, it was like, Hey everybody go listen to this, you know? So, so f- thank you Inkshare for, yeah, thank you. for, uh, for the vote of confidence and, uh, thrusting us into the spot- spotlight. <laughs> And thanks everybody for listening. I mean, it's only been up on online right now for about four days, and we are nearing a hundred plays. So that's pretty amazing. That is that is very cool. And I I know that a lot of these people are people that we know that we've interacted with. They're fellow writers and readers mm-hmm. that we that we know of. So it's it's kind of cool to have a listenership that's not just blank faces. They're they're not strangers. So it's. It's like talking to, to, to an audience of friends. So that, right. that is doubly cool to me. And it, it makes it really awesome. And, you know, we've heard a lot of positive things. And we thank you guys for, you know, enjoying this w- along with us. Because, you know, we're having a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, other than being just super busy, both of us, we're just really enjoying this ride. And, you know, I kind of um, brought you up to speed where Ageless is right now in its production. How's the life engineered going? Life Engineered actually is nearing the spot. Well, okay, I keep saying that every time we get to a milestone, I, I say publicly to everyone, ah, this is the part where I can finally let go of my baby and have it be in the hands of other professionals. And every time it turns out not to be exactly true, but I, I think we're nearing, <laughs> we're nearing the, real, the real deal now. That's so, awesome. Uh, I, I got what is probably the before last PDF of, of the, the, what do you call the pour of oh, the, um, of the book. So the, the entire, the full interior all laid out exactly as it will be when it prints. I had a lot of notes, um, especially towards the end. Cause I'm including a couple of, uh, a little bit of extra material. There's a glossary that I needed to be formatted in a more clear and concise way there's a uh, a teaser cool. chapter for the sequel that i'm not sure exactly how to introduce that so there's a bit of back and forth to that but we're at that stage so that's super exciting to me that's amazing that's amazing and that sounds really exciting i can't wait till i get there but i won't be there um probably for uh several months couple months at least um yeah probably something like that that's that's about like if i look two months Earlier this year, that's I was pretty much where you are right now, handing mm-hmm. in my uh, handing in my de- developmental edits, my first wave. So yeah, give it give it two months. Like by around the holidays, you should be about where I am right now, and losing your mind <laughs> because it, it is it is a very cool uh, moment. I I wonder if like more experienced authors, people that have gone through this more uh, more often, 
get kind of used to it and get get blase about it. It's like, man, eh, her book, whatever. Yeah, they probably do, just like we do about our own personal jobs. Like, you know, I have, I have um, around the same time that I will be where you are, I actually have a concert because I'm a teacher, a music teacher, and we have a concert. So I'm like, ah, oh, another concert, whatever, we'll be fine. You know, the kids always do a good job. They always wait till the last second to pull it out, by the way. And that's the way all of us are as human beings. I'm starting to really learn that. Um, nobody likes to really, I don't want to say nobody, but very few people like to really be 100% prepared. And that kind of drives me crazy as a teacher because I strive for that level of preparation. And, you know, we're talking about, you know, 12, 13-year-olds. So I'm not faulting them for that. I'm just saying that I'm noticing that happens a lot, you know. So, um, But anyway, as I was saying, uh, I get that way in my own job. I'm sure you get that way in your job. So I would think that writers probably also get that way. Um, as they write, and you know, as a if you, if you or I were ever to be, you know, quote unquote, professionals someday, uh, we would just busy ourselves with other projects, you know, other writings, and like you know, you and I both do actually. Uh, even though I don't know what you know spare time is anymore at this point, so <laughs> maybe someday I'll have some spare time to start really diving into writing and stuff again. So, well, that's the thing right now for me, spare time is that time that I used to write. So. Well, yeah, that's true. Me, I don't have a lot of spare time, you know. In fact, uh, yesterday when we were trying to figure out when would be a good time to record, this is about the only spare hour or so that I have this weekend. So I'm hoping that things kind of calm down a little bit as we get closer to, you know, the holidays. But you're telling me that it probably won't. So <laughs> I'm afraid not. It's, it's a lot of... Cause it, even when you do dev edits are going to be like when you when it comes back to you there might be more questions and more things to answer so i don't right. know how many rounds of that you'll be going through but every time you go through it you still need to read all your comments and do all your all the modifications and some of the Absolutely. some of those questions sometimes sound really simple on the uh, on the surface but then you're looking for the perfect word to replace that that one to 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 to, to perfect that one sentence that just doesn't work, or your your right. develop, your uh, your editor will tell you, yeah, that sentence doesn't doesn't make sense or doesn't fit, and you know what they mean and you agree and you're trying to find a solution, but it's just not coming to you. You can spend uh, <laughs> more than a few minutes just staring at a screen trying to figure it out, and those that that'll gobble up your time very quickly. Oh, believe me. Believe me, I know. Like with this this round that I just finished, um, I can tell you that there were a lot of major edits, I, and I ended up scrapping um, five thousand, six thousand words, which is like twenty, twenty five pages, um, and that's a whole lot when you look at. Um, I'm cutting these things out of my book, and I spent a long time really thinking about them, coming up with how to write them, whose point of view, because the nature of my book, the point of view shifts. Um, from character to character a little bit, you know, so uh, it was a lot of work and it's really hard to let go of that amount of, of effort that you had already put in. But with that said, I actually completely rewrote from scratch 30 pages. Um, so ultimately, when I threw out those five to 6,000 words, I ended up having more words in this edit than, than the actual original manuscript. So that's kind of strange, I think. Well, no, I, I mean... It's it's cool. It makes for a for a meteor book. I mean, if if it works yeah. out, it makes for a better product. And that's the whole point Hopefully. of going through these edits is just improving, improving, improving. Oh, definitely. the The book definitely 
got better. I mean, I, I'm I have no I have no doubt that uh, these edits were necessary. Um, and you know what I threw out, you may see in the future sometime, because you know I don't want to just get rid of it because of the nature of how I'm telling the story. It's it's still something that needs to be told, but it maybe be, can be told uh, just not not in the actual novel, you know. Oh, as uh, as extra material maybe on your website yeah. or something. I was going to say if this is some stuff that you're going to reuse in the sequel or something like that, I was oh, no. I was willing to put down money that you would rewrite it anyways. Yeah. Just yeah. just because after a few books or after a year or so, you're going to reread the stuff that you wrote recently and think, "Oh no, I can do better than this." Hey, yeah. Uh, you're right. And that that happens with with uh all kind of creative things you know you you go back like if i go back and listen to music that i wrote when i was 18 or whatever i mean i'm going oh my gosh this is you know some of it has got a lot of potential others of it is just terrible you know <laughs> which which is one of the things that's kind of funny because i i hang out with a few other writers and one of the syndromes mm-hmm. that i've noticed not necessarily amongst my immediate friends but amongst other aspiring authors is the a lot of them want that first book to be their best book Right. Which you, you, you do music, so you're an artist. You understand that mm-hmm. that's impossible. <laughs> it is because you're always growing. You're always changing. And, you know, you're always learning from what you do. And you're always, you know, seeking to improve from what you did before, or at least for me, you know. No, absolutely. And that that's kind of the it's, it's kind of the catch 22. Obviously, you want your first book to be good enough to make a splash. You want your right. dip, your, your debut to be to have an impact so that you get noticed. But at the same time, I see some of these authors that have great ideas and they're, they're perfecting that one idea, which they think is their best idea and maybe their best idea into that one book that they hope will be their one thing that is going to launch their career. And after that, it doesn't matter if it's garbage where it should almost be the reverse where like I'm, I'm super proud of the life engineered it, to me, it's kind of a, a surprise hit within my own circle of better readers because it, I, it wasn't meant to be as good as it turned out, which is kind of ominous for the future. <laughs> that's a, that's a weird, that's a weird way to put it. Yeah. Please buy his book because it is so mediocre, ladies and gentlemen. No, that's not what I mean. I mean, the, the thing is <laughs> I, know, I, I, know. I wrote it you. and I thought it would be mediocre, but it turns out it's good. So I'm, I'm hoping I can replicate the, the lightning in the bottle. But what I'm, what I'm getting at is that I, I didn't like it's, I, I didn't take my best idea and try to make it into my first book to try to make as much of a splash as possible. I took an idea that's, that's good, that I enjoyed, that I loved, that I worked hard on, and that seemed to be getting traction on its own, and that's what I pushed forward. So. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It really does. Like it, and yeah. I mean, maybe it makes sense to me because I, uh, I'm a creative person. I imagine anybody listening to this is probably also a creative type person. So I mean, but no, I totally get it. And I was just teasing you before. <laughs> but the, the thing is, I, I also want to be clear. Like, I understand the mentality behind wanting that that first book to be your best and to be the biggest splash because I like for the longest time. I also thought that way because of low self-esteem. And I don't want to get into like psychology. This is not the kind of that kind of podcast. But when you f- don't think too highly of yourself, it's easy to get stuck in that mentality where you think your like your good idea is like you have one, and that'll be your only one. Right. But I understand totally. Yeah. If if you're gonna get into writing, you're you're not gonna get you don't you're not gonna have only one good idea. You're gonna have more than one. 
and d- don't worry about it. Just don't don't keep an idea to uh, don't 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 focus all your energies on one idea and hope that that's going to be your one book. Right. Yeah. Don't all don't put all your um, I don't know how the saying goes. Don't put all your, your eggs in some, one basket. Yes, eggs in one basket. I couldn't remember what it was. I was like, all I could think of was birds, and I was like, what? <laughs> Don't put all your birds. Don't in... put all your birds in the same chicken bucket. There you go. <laughs> so, can I tell you, like, before we 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 eat, we're going to talk about books, obviously. Before we talk about books, I need to. I want to tell you about this nightmare. Okay. Now, this is not a nightmare I've had. It's a nightmare I've I've set up for myself that I've requested. Oh, I see. I see. So I don't yeah. I don't know if I've told you about that, but obviously I didn't talk about it on the podcast because this is only our first episode. So yeah. I'm going to a, a literary fiction convention called CadCon in Ottawa next weekend. It's going to be super exciting because I'm going to get to meet a bunch of people I don't know, which is not my specialty, and I'm going to be on a panel talking about crowd crowdfunding and Inkshare and all that kind of good stuff. So it's it's going to be fun. Okay, you're going to push the podcast then, I guess. I right? will probably plug the podcast. I All right, will awesome. talk about ink shares, the, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and the weird. And I will also be talking with other panelists about crowdfunding. So okay. that's all well and good. I'm, 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 I'm an awkward person, but put, put me in front of a, of a room, in front of a crowd, 2,000 2, people, 3,000 people, 40,000, I don't care. Like At the moment I'm in front of a crowd, I can sort of wear a mask of someone who knows what they're doing and I'm, I'm very comfortable however i did sign up for a, for something else uh-huh and this is where the nightmare comes this, in I'm assuming? this is a nightmare so, so what'd you sign up for i signed up for pitch sessions oh explain what that is so a pitch session is essentially a very it, take the worst parts of speed dating the worst part <laughs> of a job interview and okay. mix them up and then add in some of the worst part of meeting new people. Okay, so are you pitching a book of yours, or are you listening to other pitches? Oh, I wish I was listening to other pitches. <laughs> I was going to say, that would make it much easier. Oh, that would be, that would be comfortable. No, I'm, I've, I've got three pitch sessions ranging from five to 12 minutes. So you can imagine five minutes to explain what your book is and try to convince someone to essentially allow you to write, the, write it for them to publish. And that is difficult, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never tried to explain, like for me, um, my manuscript, uh, when it's formatted certain ways, it can be over 400 pages long. And if I got to condense that into five minutes, it's very difficult. And it becomes a lot of me going, uh, um, uh, because in my mind, there's a lot of important things going on. And you just got to narrow that down. So it's it's pretty difficult task. Um, you know, like uh, when we were first getting our author questionnaires, that put your whole story into two sentences, that thing was unbelievably that, difficult. That is the one question that made me waste the larger part of that evening that I exactly. was working on that. It, it was very difficult. That first questionnaire took me two whole evenings to fill out just because of that stuff, that kind of question. Mm-hmm. And it's because we, okay, there, there's, there's, I see three factors that kind of go into play in, in, in that kind of situation. The first thing is you – obviously we think fairly highly no, no matter what people say. If you're a writer and you, you wrote a book, you spend that much time writing an entire story onto pages and you're trying to get it published, you don't think it's a bad book. 
no matter right. like no matter how humble you're trying to pass yourself as, everybody's going to see through that bull crap. You're you're not fooling any everyone or anyone. If you're trying to publish a book, you like that book. And of course. of course, your ego tells you that your your magnificent masterpiece, your magnum opus, this this beautiful narrative that you've poured over for so many days and hours cannot be condensed, cannot be simplified into two measly sentences. It's, it has too much depth, too much. There's too much meat on those bones for you to to diminish it so much. So that's the first problem. It's really hard to accept that, yes, you're your beautiful manuscript can be summed up in two sentences and has to be. And yeah, and it, and it was very difficult. But, you know, ultimately, when I look at the two sentences that it came down to, I think, yeah, okay, that definitely works. You know, and I'm sure that you feel the same way about yours. I, I don't know. You I'm know? trying to remember what I wrote, but I'm, I'm worried I just wrote the, the word robot over and over and over again for like three lines. There you go. Um, With just commas, because, you know, they got to be sentences. Exactly. Yeah, so. At some point, Every may, once maybe in a while, tossing a verb. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, the, 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 yeah. the second thing is one of the easiest thing to do when describing a book in a few sentences is to obviously compare it to other well-known pieces of fiction. So right. if I were to describe, and I hate describing it that way, but if I were to describe really quickly A God in the Shed, the book that I have that's funding right now in two sentences, I would say it's uh, Stand By Me mixed with Call of Cthulhu with a bit Harry Potter. And it sounds, there's two problems with that. First of all, how dare I compare myself to such masterpieces? Right. But I mean, that's what people want. That's, you know, yeah. that's what they want to know. Like, what is this going to f- make me feel like? And so you're kind of trying to convey, you're going to feel like you felt when you watched or read Stand By Me. And, you know, you're going to feel like you did um, if you ever have experienced the call of Cthulhu or Harry Potter, you know. So, yeah, I mean, exactly. that's what people you're want. You're going to find some of the magic of, of a call of Cthulhu, of, of a Harry Potter and something like the, the, the family dynamics, if you will. Mm-hmm. But and then the the other problem, like the flip side of that that very same issue, is, I'm like, how dare I compare myself to, to to those those things? But at the same time, how how dare I you know qualify? I, I diminish my work to something to, to to saying that it's so derivative, right? When the only thing that you're trying to do is, like you say, you, you describe perfectly, you're trying to evoke what the themes and emotions of these particular franchises are so that people have a frame of reference. And if you're going to do a two-sentence uh, two pitch, you need to get comfortable with doing that kind of thing. And it is so hard. It is. I say in my whiniest voice. <laughs> <laughs> it is very difficult because it's like, you know, you want to sit, for me personally, I mean, I, I sit back and I'm like, you know what, this is not anything what I've created feels like it's not like other things. But then, you know, once you really start digging deep, you find out that, you know, it's in the history of time. There's so many stories that have been told. So at some point you're going to be recycling something, you know? And I mean, I mean, it, yes, it is. It is. And it's, it's difficult. So like for me, like that was a little bit of a kind of a letdown when I was doing my research for these author questionnaires, I was like, man, this is a lot like this other thing. And then it's kind of like this other thing. And I'm like, <sighs> but then, you know, like you said, we could use that to our advantage, even though it kind of feels, you know, like it, I don't know. I don't want to say cheapening your work. Cause I mean, well, that to me, it kind of feels like that 
Because ultimately, I want to feel like I'm creating something that is amazing and that no one is ever going to do or has ever done. And you can't ever, you know, copy this, et cetera, et cetera. You know what I mean? It's that whole creator's kind of feeling. Yeah, my, you know? my, my work is a unique snowflake. Yeah. It can, cannot be compared to anything because it is so, so, so special. That's bullcrap, unfortunately. The, the only it, it is. Th- yeah, you, you're... You can you can tell an old story in a new way or an old new story in an old way, but you're never going to tell a new story in a new way. That's if right. you do, it's probably just going to confuse an audience. Anyways, it's right not the best way to get into an industry by 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 getting into an industry like so well established, so traditional as publishing by trying to to turn it on its head is not probably not the best way. Anyways, you want to build your name first, but that's yeah. that's that's inside baseball a bit too much, and we have some books to talk about. Well, did you want to tell me a little bit more about your nightmare there? About the um... my nightmare is giving pitches, is is walking into a room with strangers and saying, "Hi, this is a book I want you to publish, and I only have five minutes to tell you about it." That's my nightmare. <laughs> it, it that sounds like a nightmare. I mean, it's I'm, it's... it's the worst of everything, Paul. It is better, <laughs> better you than me, or at least right now. I mean, I, eventually I'll probably get there, but. The, I'm having trouble putting together three sentences to describe my book without giving everything away. I mean, if you listen to episode zero, um, I went back and re-listened to it, and the whole time I'm talking about ageless, I'm going the or uh, um the uh, you know because I don't I I want to tell everything because you know I've had this story for so long, but I also understand that if I tell everything, then what is the point of anyone reading it? You know, so it's yeah, it, it's it's I say. It's difficult. It needs to be done. I'm I'm not going to these pitch sessions in the hopes that the, my book actually gets p- picked up. It probably won't. I'm going there to build well, up the, the scar tissue to, <laughs> o- to over my ego to be able to, when I am in a position where I actually am more in need of be, having the pitch session be successful, have some practice and be used to it and know what to expect and be comfortable with it. Well, I mean, hey, like I said, good luck to you. And I uh, really, you know, hopefully something great comes out of it more than, uh, other than just scar tissue, of course, you know. So. Yeah, I'll be satisfied if I'll be satisfied if I just don't break down. And he, here's here's the kicker, right? Uh-huh. This isn't like signing up for a tennis class and then deciding you don't want to play tennis and not going and wasting the money for it. <laughs> these yeah. are these are bridges I can't burn. I can't this year flake out on those pitch sessions and then next year want them ask for them and expect them to be accepted if i flake on these if i don't go to these if and i request uh, more pitch sessions from those same publishers next year they're gonna say no so i have to go even if i make a fool of myself so hey but just go try try to relax have fun and you know if something awesome happens great if it doesn't that's okay because you're right you're not burning these bridges you're actually creating connections you know and that's awesome so So we do have the lesson yeah that is that is the lesson so we do have some books to talk about um i think i'll start out this week uh i think we're going to try to attempt to um talk about a pair of books that are complementary to each other each week. So last week, or in episode zero in our like pilot episode, we discussed our own books, uh, Ageless from me and The Life Engineered from JF. And today, since those are, you know, more or less, well, science fiction books, you know, we're gonna flip to the other side and we're gonna look at some fantasy books this week. Um, I'm gonna start out and I'm I'm gonna talk about 
um, Rune of the Apprentice by Mr. Jameson Stone. Uh, if you don't know, this book is funded. It is in production. Um, he actually worked really, really hard, uh, from what I can tell anyway. Oh, Jam- um, Jameson is a machine. He's, he is. He, he is both talented at getting people and worked his – he worked himself – to like his knuckles to the bone getting he this did. done. He he did everything right in a way that was amazing. It was it was really a sight to behold when he was going doing, going through his campaign. It, it it really was. I mean, I was I was following obviously I'm following him on Twitter and I was watching checking his ink shares page every day and then we've get the updates to yesterday's now of course I forget yesterday's news. What was it called? Yesterday's the uh, what's buzzing? The email from yesterday's Inkshare. buzz. Yeah. Yesterday's buzz. Sorry, sorry, Inkshare. It's my fault. Um, <laughs> I I read it. I just don't read the subject line apparently. Um, so anyway, I was watching him every day when he's going to these cons. He went to um, uh, New York Comic Con and a, a con in Baltimore. I can't remember the name of that one though. I feel like it's Balticon, but that doesn't seem right. No, Balticon is. A, he went to a Baltimore Comic Con. Balticon oh, is, a, is is more of a literature. It's very much specifically fantasy and science fiction literature. And I, I think you and I are going next year for that, right? Yeah, can uh, I, that's can, the can plan. Can I pencil you in? Yes, pencil me in. That's the plan. In fact, uh, uh, before we started recording, I was talking to you about you know it's pretty cheap to fly there from from here. So I'm, uh, you know, I gotta talk to the wife and make sure we have the funds. But the plan is, I'd like to go. Maybe we get a table together and that sounds yeah. that sounds cool. We can probably rope in a few other ink shares author and just have yeah. a, have a thing going on. So tell me more about Rune the Apprentice. I mean, obviously, I read a lot of the uh, the material. I mean, I've been following Jameson too. He's he's an awesome guy, so he's hard yeah, to he not fantastic. pay attention to. Um, but but for the reader, for the listeners, or anybody else that hasn't heard about runes of the apprentice tell me what what's what are we looking at well actually i'll just read what he has right here on his inkshare's website for to start us off with because i mean this is really good like he condensed it really well here so um it says in a world where magic technology and nature have merged the few who can control runes hold dominance over all of creation all naturally believe that alexi a 16 year old orphan was blessed to be born with a rune embedded in his palm but that's only because they don't know the truth alexi's rune is so powerful it's killing him so i mean like that just goes ahead and it brings you kind of into what this story is going to be about and it is really an interesting type of thing um it's set well well, what I what I like about that setup is that he had, again, like when I was saying, it, it hits the right notes in the sense that it gives you a good feeling for what kind of world to expect. But yeah, exactly. It, it tells you a bit about the main character, and it also gives you a hint of what kind of peril, what, what the stakes are for the character. Yeah, and that's exactly why I was like, you know, let me just read this, because I can't, I'm not going to be able to sum it up quickly and easily better than that, you know. Um, although I'm really interested in it. I mean, he's... It's really cool if you haven't been to his Ink Shares, um, his uh, funding page. Um, I'll put a link if you're listening to this on YouTube. I'll put a link down below so you can check it out. And um, he's really cool. He's gone into depth in depth with maps and everything. It's it's very neat. And uh, basically, what dr- what has drawn me to his story is um, well, first of all, before I kind of knew what this was when he first started his. Um, Funding. I was looking at his uh, campaign very early on, and I thought it was really cool because he's um, ho- he's planning to, you know, try to 
donate some money, or actually 100% of his pre-order profits are going to be donated to military families because his wife is in the military as well. And, um, you know, I just thought that that right there was something that spoke to me because some of my family is in the military, you know, in, in the armed forces. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I was like, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna check this out. Um, I'm not necessarily, I don't, I don't dislike fantasy, but I'm more sci-fi myself. Like that's, that's more of what I'm drawn to naturally. Of course, you know, I, I love, I love good stories, but if I sit, if I, if I go somewhere and I'm like looking to purchase a book, I, I'm usually drawn to science fiction just because that's what I enjoy the most. But so anyway, it, it drew me in. Those kind of things drew me in. And, you know, I read his little blurb there and I was like, wow, that sounds pretty good. So and another thing that I thought was really neat is he he already had finished his manuscript because a lot of the funding, uh, I, don't, I don't, I can't say a lot because I don't see, I don't look at every single one in, you know, meticulous detail, but from well, what you I will, understand. You will. In the next few weeks, I'm going <laughs> yes. to have you, we're going to be reviewing two of these books every week. So exactly. you're, you're going to have to. Yeah, well, I will be, but you know, most of the ones I look at are are still in some kind of um, process of creating their story, and it, it kind of drew me. And he was like, he had his manuscript finished, which appealed to me because I also had the Ageless manuscript finished. Um, uh, and I don't know, I just feel I feel like you know that is a an accomplishment on its own. So I was like, wow, I just want to check this out. And uh, he's a really nice guy, and I started recording these. Um, uh, these audio excerpts from other stories. Uh, so he contacted me actually, and he asked, you know, it would be really awesome if, if you could think about perhaps doing one for mine. So I sat down and I, I read the, uh, prologue, uh, a couple times and I was like, you know, this is a, a very interesting world. Um, and it's really just a neat story so far. You know, that was actually before he started posting some of the, um, other chapters and things. Um, but it was really a neat little, uh, there's a, a neat like action scene in that prologue and it, and it explains who the bad guy is pretty much or, well, it doesn't explain, but you get introduced to who the, um, you know, the main villain is going to be early on and you get introduced to kind of how this, the magic works in this world. And it was just a, a very neat experience. And if you, um, want to read or listen, you know, you obviously check out his ink shares page, but if you want to listen, um, uh, I will put a link to the YouTube, um, to the YouTube uh, audio excerpt as well down in the in the the notes if you're on YouTube listening to this. Yeah, and your reads have been fantastic. Oh, thank and, you, and thank you. Jameson is, I mean, he's 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 a great writer. He's, yeah, he's an really. awesome person. Like he's good people, and you read it, you read what he wrote well. So it's 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 a very good combination. So it's a very compelling listen for people who are too lazy to read. <laughs> or just you know, just sometimes it's just easier. It's more convenient, right? Uh, and you know, I like audiobooks a lot for that because it's more convenient. Before uh, a couple of years ago, uh, I was commuting to work almost, you know, like maybe depending on traffic, forty-five minutes to an hour. So I did a lot of like audio stuff, and that's kind of what led me to start reading some of these because I know that some people just don't have a lot of time where they can read. But sometimes you have a lot of time when you're like on your commute, you know, you're either, you know, on, on a train or you're driving yourself or you're on the subway or, you know, something like that. Uh, so I decided, you know, it might be neat to like give these, these people, uh, whoever, everyone that I read for, uh, another way that someone can interact, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. someone can get their material, you know, just another, another way to get it out there. Which is fantastic. Cause I mean, anybody is listening to my voice right now. I, 
barely tolerable as a show host. So you can imagine me reading a story. It's very painful. So no, having someone that. else do it for me was was very cool. I'm, I'm sure uh, same thing with Jameson, probably appreciating everybody that cause you did that for so many people. Yeah, I, I think maybe I ended up doing like maybe 10 different stories. And it, it just, I really enjoyed it. It just got to be a little overwhelming. So I had to back off some, especially because, you know, I was getting feedback on, on Ageless and I was really starting to dive in that. And, you know, school um, was really like starting to ramp up. But I, I really enjoy it and I want to maybe get back into it here because I, I really had a good time. Um, really, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, Jameson was great. I The first thing I asked him after I read through his um, prologue a couple times, I was like, okay, I'm going to need a pronunciation guide if you wouldn't mind, like, maybe writing something up. Because, you know, I mean, they're pretty, they they pronounced pretty much like they're shown. But, you know, you never know. And I don't want to butcher somebody else's work, you know, not on purpose, <laughs> you know. So, uh, like, for example, uh, he has a mountain in his story called Devden's Zenith. And it looks just like I said it just then, except for when you're first looking at it, you don't know. I mean, but you know, once you get how it is, then you know. Like, for example, um, uh, the main, I can't remember his name now, uh, but the main place, there's like a place the called, no. not the main character, no. Um, th- there's a couple of main places like um, Terra. Well, you know which Palaer, I, f- I don't know how I would pronounce that one. That's I, I get what you mean. I mean, you don't want to have to re-record it two or three times because you mispronounce right. a, a name. And obviously, I mean, you can clearly see just from the the, the maps that that Jameson has on his on his uh, project page that he's given he's given this world a ton of thought and, yes, and consideration. So butchering one of the names for one of those places would be unfortunate. You, you you know you don't want to do that so you I, that's a good move like clarifying that in advance and i, I yeah. want to be specific if you if you haven't visited uh, jameson's project page it, it i have to say it's one of those things i go through and go oh man i should do more for mine <laughs> because yeah, it's really it is, good it's, it's very really good. good the maps are gorgeous they're very they're, they're very detailed they're beautiful very if uh, if you've seen maps in uh, lord of the rings or any like your, mm-hmm. your standard fantasy novels and even those kind of I'd I'd say they're even a notch above what you see in a lot of books. Right. I mean, they they're really good. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure honestly if he actually drew these. I'm not sure if he's artistic. I, I don't know, but definitely they're they're fantastic. And you know, the cool thing, like I was saying, the cool thing was I asked him for this uh, um, pronunciation guide, and he went above and beyond, and he actually audio recorded some of these things or all of them oh, actually, that's... and he went through, and so I I had something that. As I was doing the reading, I could actually pause and listen just to double check to make sure, even though I'd already listened, you know, a few dozen times already because I wanted to be good. You know, I don't don't like to put anything out that is subpar if I can help it. You know, sometimes it just happens, but (laughs) try not to. Um, But he's uh, he was really cool and he was really helpful and he got everything to me quickly and you know, I'm I'm really happy for him, and that's that's why I actually chose this particular book this week because I really am, you know, proud of what he's done, and like I feel like Papa Bear a little bit, you know. Hey, good job, good job, son. You know. Um, <laughs> well, there, there's 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 a short list of books that have I think Rune Parent Princess, if I remember clearly, was in the Sword and Laser contest, but came in late or something, or maybe I'm misremembering. He wasn't there at all. But Rune and Princess is one of those books that had been. That I would say 
was easy to spot fairly early on, either right. because of the it, it may it did have history in the uh, in the previous contest, or ju- it just stood out. So it's one of those books that during the entire contest, I I, I was keeping an eye on because I was curious, and I, I it looked like a good book. The synopsis was interesting. Mm-hmm. So seeing it climb super fast at the end of the contest and eventually get its funding, I mean, I I cheered. Okay, I didn't cheer as much as I would if my book got funded. Well, yeah. but I, I, I was still, I was still super happy for Jameson. And considering what his plans are for the uh, the pre-order money, the the kind of person he is, the kind of book he has, because obviously I pre-ordered, so I'm, I'm, well, yeah, I'm, so I'm looking forward to getting a copy. Me too. And so, I mean, I, can't I have, wait. I, can't I have wait, an ulterior actually. motive. I want to read the damn thing. Exactly. So that, seeing, me too. Seeing that it funded, that that was, I, I was super happy about that. Yeah, I mean, it is awesome. And, like, you know, like, I think it was the Nerdist one that he was in. Uh, yes. yes. Well, he was in Nerdist, but I, 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 I'm wondering because there's I a think few maybe people came that in, were... in between. But I don't remember. It don't could know. be. It could be. I have a terrible memory. So, like, I, <laughs> I don't want to say something that turns out to be a lie. Well, Jameson, tell us, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sure he'll let us know. <laughs> yeah. He, no. He if will. he doesn't, I'll, I'll just do the proper research myself. It doesn't matter. The important <laughs> thing is that the book's getting published. It's an amazing-looking book. It's There's a lot of research behind it. Of, 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 of all the authors, and I'm not putting anybody down by saying that, but of all the authors, including myself, James is probably too. one of the guys who looks the most passionate about his book. Like He does cosplay about, from his mm-hmm. character, yep. and he looks super into it when he's doing the photos. I I mean I I get that level of excitement when I'm talking about my book, but and I mean I I, I do some weird stuff. I have I've modeled some of the some of the robots and I draw a lot of the ro- robots. They're awesome from too, my, uh, those models. Oh, thank They're you. Awesome. But I like I'll do some of that, but I don't have I don't think I have that sparkle in my eye that Jameson has when he's cosplaying his main character, even even when I'm talking about my book. I mean I love my book. Maybe as much as he loves his, but there's no denying the enthusiasm he has. And if he's bringing that to the page, it's going to be a good read. Oh, it's going to be a fantastic read. And if you haven't checked out this book, check it out. Rune of the Apprentice by Jameson Stone on Inkshares.com. So, sir, what are you bringing to the table this week? I'm I'm going to talk about another uh, pillar of our uh, writing community on Inkshare. Uh, I'm going to talk about... Blood Dawn by John Robin. Yes, fantastic, good one. I've I've been. John is very much. I would say John is one of us in the sense that very much like uh, Joseph, who founded the uh, the Inkshare Writers uh, uh-huh. Forum on Goodreads. You and I who are doing this podcast. Uh, and you that did the, the the recordings. John is one of our super active members of our community. He's absolutely. He's, He's the kind of guy that he's got a blog that talks about world building and he's been dutifully inviting and interviewing a lot of the Inkshares writers on their views on world building so that he can add that to his blog. And he's been one of the nicest, most approachable guys in the Inkshare contest from day one. Um, and he's got this really amazing book that's still funding. Because one of the things that we're going to do, we're going to try to talk about one book that's funded and one book that's funding yeah. so that we kind of give equal platform. Yeah. Because one of the things that you need to remember is that Jimson's book, The Apprentice, is funded, but it's still on pre-order. You can still yeah. pre-order a copy, and that will still help him. 
Absolutely. And, you know, like you said, we're going to try to, like, make this uh, as balanced as as we can. I mean, obviously, sometimes we might not, but we're going to do our best to try to be, you know, balanced and fair. Exactly. So Blood Dawn is an Earth fantasy book. I'm going to uh, I'm going to read the, the little synopsis. Like yeah, do it for Jameson book is the, is the way to go. Enter a world of medieval castles and pseudo-Victorian culture, the crumbled remains of an empire that once flourished under the reign of a god-king. As a duel, his dream of eternal life, now but an echo in the minds of the people. Golheim, once a city of color, is now dark. And in this darkness, the seeds of revolution stir. Meet Rena, a weaver who practices her art in secret. For in Golheim, it is illegal to be an artist. Art, a now forgotten gateway to magic, and for Rena and Golheim's people, it is the key to liberation. For not only is Rena gifted with the power then can awaken the, uh, the fire of dragons, she is the long-lost daughter of Hazadul and rightful heir to his throne. But Rena is weak and full of fear. Golheim is in the midst of war, and in the twenty years since Hazadul vanished, many have conspired, their hearts full of ambition. Will Rena rise above them, master not only her gift but the fear which holds her back? The future of Golheim depends on it. Her fate will determine whether the dream that once inspired a nation lives again or is forgotten in a world that has lost its light. Now, one of the things that really drew me to Blood Dawn and is the whole concept of, for, first of all, the obviously, I'll, I'll talk about John being, uh, I should say, a magnetic individual in and of itself. But one of the things that <laughs> yeah. really draw, drew me to, to Blood Dawn is the whole idea of art being illegal and I artists know. being illegal. That is a very cool, um, like, I don't, I don't know, how, to, how do I say it? Uh, it's a very cool um, concept. Concept is best it's, word it, I can come up it's, with. It's a great conceit. It's, a, it's an interesting, because you can see how... In many ways, that would stifle a population. And just reading about that, reading about this one character who's an artist, you, as an artist myself, I can totally relate to that character almost immediately in a sense that if I were in a society where I can't practice my art or if I can't write, I can't draw, I can't do, I can't do anything, in your case, you, you know, not allowed to play music or anything, right. I, can, I can immediately sympathize with that character. Like, regardless of anything else, I'm in. I'm sold. I know, like all the other stuff is just, you know, icing on the cake. I mean, I totally agree because, you know, I mean, for me and for you, uh, this is who we are and it's what we do. So it's like shutting down our whole life. So, I mean, I'm, I'm in, immediately interested what is going to happen with this character. You know, how, how can we, how is this going to resolve? Because, you know, and, and another thing for me is that little, that one little sentence, um, uh, that one little part of the sentence in the second paragraph, a now forgotten gateway to magic. And, you know, I wholeheartedly believe that. Like when I'm playing music or making music um, or, or writing even, you know, I'm like just feel like I'm in the zone. You know what I mean? And you just get this feeling that's like indescribable. In fact, I tell my students at school, I'm like, hey, you know what? This is the closest to magic that there really is. That feeling when you are, you know, you're nailing it. You know, you know, it's exactly what it needs to be. And, you know, I just love that, that forgotten gateway to magic, that that right there also like hooks me right in. 
Well, you, you're going you're gonna to love this, and I'm glad to hear you say that because one of the things – and I hate to bring it back to my book because we're supposed to be talking about Blood Dawn. But it's an interesting <laughs> parallel because not exactly, but the theme of art being magic and being a gateway to magic and all that, that, that exact sentence is something that is touched on in, in my book, God in the Shed. Like oh, there's, there's, cool. three, there's three types of magic in my book. One of them is – basically just kind of cheat codes and cheap-ass magic. The right. other one is anything that's about divinities and gods. And the last one is is art. Art as magic is is a theme in that book. It's clearly not as strong of, this, of, of a theme as it is in Blood Dawn, which is what makes me so eager to read Blood Dawn because I, I love the idea of someone taking something similar, definitely not the same thing because I'm sure it's different, but something that has that same texture and, and flavor, but using it as as the main course of the book instead of just something like one of the uh, one of the, the the mechanics for the magic system, if you will. Right. So I'm I'm super curious about that. I love like there's mention of dragons, and I'm 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 if there's anything in fantasy that I like, it's dragons. So you put dragons in a book for fantasy that's the way to hook me in yes it is you know it, uh, for most for most people that's that's the way to hook them in I, I think and you know it's really cool what he's doing with the dragons in his story uh if you he's got a special in fact he contacted um ink shares and got a special uh mm-hmm. level of i don't know pre-order i guess maybe if you pre-order 10 copies is it 10 it might be seven if he's seven seven copies um you actually will be a dragon in his world like he will use your name as the basis for a dragon i should say um you and you'll get a free t-shirt if you if you haven't looked at the site you can see the dragon logo which was um created by kara weston um which is fantastic uh he was he's going to put that logo on a shirt for you and get it to you and, you know, he's already done something similar also with uh, business card holders. Yes, and, yes. And this, this brings us back to, uh, to, to, to John himself. Right. How John has – he's a, a bit of a genius as far as the community is concerned in making himself sort of the, 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 the hub of the wheel of the community. In, not in a way that's exploitative but in a way that interacts with people. Like he's got – He's got Kara's art on his website and using it for the yeah. for, for the website. He's got your audio for the uh, for the, uh, the, the his prologue, the same way or first chapter, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. same way uh, the same way you do. I, I helped him out a bit with the uh, with his cover. Uh, he, he he that frustrates me a bit because he credits me for the cover, and I I know I the only I just punched up the colors a bit but like I, I didn't do the art or anything no just so. take it just take the credit you know <laughs> i don't i don't i can't take credit for other people's yeah art. i know that yeah. is i can't do that but, but i can anyways, tell you it looks point, good like, the, the whole idea like and if you if you look at the the bottom behind un, under his contact information on his project page he's got this long list of other writers you me there's a I mean, Pat Jamison, AC Weston, all these yeah. other people that helped him, you know, create his stuff because he's the kind of guy that just attracts that, that, that sort of cooperation, that sort of interaction with the, with the authors. And on our forums, he's one of the most active members and, yep. and he's just, just a, a great guy. And his writing so far has seems to be 
superb. And oh, yeah. the book Blood Dawn, it's this is not just a, a passing fancy for him. This is no. something that he's been he's been kicking that around for what two decades? Yeah, something like that. I, I'm um, I'm trying to find it says somewhere on here, but yes, I mean you're right. It, it's he's he's just an unbelievable like salt of the earth type of guy. I mean he's just fantastic, and uh, you know. I don't, I don't know. I can't say enough good things about him. And just to sh- just showing that he's got all these um, other writers on his page, and he's just thanking them. I mean, he's just so humble, you know, too. And, and that's one thing that I, I really just love about him. I mean, he's just such a great guy. He wants everyone to succeed, not just himself. And that's something that's really cool about the community that we've kind of created. You know, everybody, most everyone is, you know wants to see everyone succeed because as as a reader you know a reader is not just going to read a book and then stop reading forever you know so uh and he's just a lot of help he's very helpful like when you get over when you when we're on the forums on goodreads he's just always interacting and he's one of the uh, moderators too and he's creating um sections uh recently created sections for non ink shares authors to promote their stuff to the people in our group. I mean, he's even helping outside of the community that we've built, you know, so. Yeah, he's, the, the, the thing is, like, you can see just from the amount of time that he's been spending working on Blood Dawn that he's incredibly passionate about that project, mm-hmm. and yet somehow he finds enough spare passion to be almost as excited about other people's work as he is his own. And it's not just—it's not just a marketing thing. It's not just a, a way to sort of attract attention to his own work, because he's—he's he's relentless about talking about other people's stuff. And that's—if only for that, he would deserve—he deserves patronage, and he deserves his book getting funded. But on top of that, the book itself looks so intricately well woven and so I know detailed. it's amazing. And, I mean, he's got it so planned out. He's got a completion timeline on the actual um, funding page. I mean, he's got he's got everything right there. You can you can see that his by April by April sixteenth. He's even got it down to the day by April sixteenth. He, he he, which I believe is his end of his funding period. I think um, he is ready to submit it if he gets to the um, points that he needs to get to. You know, for publishing publication. Um, which, you know, I have no doubt he will, especially with this new system. Do you want to talk about the new system uh, right now, or do you, do, is there anything else you want to add about Blood Dawn? Well, there's only one other thing. He actually has a short story that he's written. Um, oh, that's true. I just noticed that. Yeah, One Who Waits. In fact, he just sent this to us, to uh, sent it out today. One Who Waits, and I will, let me make a note. I will add that link, too, if you're listening on YouTube. Um so you can go over there and you can read this. It's a free short story. It's like a, a little bit of a prequel um, to the novel. One Who Waits. Um, where is it? Let me see. Uh, available on Noise Trade. Noise Trade. So if you're not listening um, on YouTube, I will. Uh, it's on Noise Trade. So if you want to just Google Noise Trade. And um, I'll put the link on the YouTube page if you want to go over there and check it out. Anyways, I... Here, here's the irony. What I'm noticing now as I've got the page right in front of me is that I have not yet pre-ordered Blood Dawn. Oh, no, really? No, no, no. I've, okay. Let's, let's not jump to conclusions here. There's a very good reason why I haven't pre-ordered Blood Dawn. The reason I haven't pre-ordered, pre-ordered Blood Dawn is that I remember earlier on when John was looking at introducing his dragon level, 
Mm-hmm. I didn't have many credits back then. Oh, I, I see. When he mentioned it, I said, I said to myself, oh, no, I'm going to wait until I have credits. And then I'm going to be a dragon. Because, well, of course. Yeah, why not? Right. So, th- here, so here's, here's the thing, is that I have terrible memory. It's a good day when <laughs> I remember my own name. And I forgot about it. Oh, and I, I've been on John's page so many times, I assumed I had pre-ordered. So I'm clicking right now. You can, you can hear it. Well, John, I'm, buddy. I'm, I'm pre-ordering as we speak. John, I have pre-ordered. And I don't, I don't know which level I actually pre-ordered at this point, but I don't think it was Dragon, unfortunately. If you're going Dragon, you, you, that's awesome. Then there's going to be... Oh, no, I've, I've done it. I'm done. Oh, you're done. Okay. I'm done. I did it. It's, it's, that, that, that's one of the things that's cool about Inkshare is that you can, uh, you can spend money very fast. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. And yes, you can. It's very cool. And, uh, you know, um, I'll be honest with you. That is very cool now that you're going to be a Dragon. Now I'm like, I want to be a Dragon. Come on. Well, if you've got the credits, buddy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do right, not, well, though, right now. So. <laughs> speaking of credits and speaking of Inkshare, let's, let's talk about some changes on the Inkshare model. Yeah, let's we're, do that. We're, we're already running long, and this is, this is a biggie. Normally in this segment, we'd be talking about gen- general crowdfunding and writing and something very generic. But um, yesterday, uh, Inkshare uh, did some changes to their, their crowdfunding model that is – sort of important sort yeah. of uh i don't want to say groundbreaking but it shakes shakes things up there's some there's some positives and some negatives and i i want us to break it down well you want us to break it down too well, yeah. to uh <laughs> to better explain it because there's some of the negatives have had people sort of raise an eyebrow and growl and grit their teeth a bit and i think it's worth demystifying some of that okay sounds so good to do you me. want do you want to go uh, about it like point by point or? yeah sounds great perfect all right. Do you have the points in front of you? Uh, I just pulled the email. That I am he the sent worst up. host. <laughs> I just pulled. It, hey, well, I just pulled it up too, um, and I knew it was coming, and I still did, and so did you, I guess. So, uh, let's see. Um, all right. So, point number one: they're going to remove the ebook only tier entirely. So there is not going to be the 750 copies where you hit the ebook, and the reason that, uh, from what I understand is um, because most people are ordering the physical book anyway. And uh, if you, the people who are hitting the ebook only tier are going all the way to the physical print tier anyway. So most people are, um, uh, they're going to be getting the ebook with the physical tier and uh, that three, well, 250 book differences has been neg- negligible um, for the most part. Yeah, almost. I I don't think there's a. I, actually, I think the last time I talked it might be to Matt K, the VP at marketing. I, I I'm saying it's him, but my, I might be wrong. The last time I talked to someone adding sure about it, they mentioned that the only per that they, they only had one book that had reached 750, but not made it to a thousand afterwards. Right. So I mean that that just became kind of you know, moot. You know, they were like, we don't we don't really need this tier anymore. So that's going away. Um, have uh, what do you feel? How do you feel about that? I mean, me personally, it's, I'm I'm, I'm going to use this co- sort of as, as a springboard to cast the, 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 the cast the shadow of an opinion over everything that's going to be discussed, and I don't mean shadow shadow in a ne- ne- negative sense. Mm-hmm. Is 
this is a change that we're seeing to how they're doing their uh, their tiers. And they're earlier before I even got on Inkshares, way before the uh, the Sword and Laser contest, Inkshares went from uh, pre-orders, financial pre-orders to per book pre-orders. Right. So it was Inkshare- like. Oh, I was just going to say, so it's like you could donate any amount of money that you wanted. Yes, exactly. You could donate money and you'd get books from that or something. Right. I, I, I didn't see how the model worked. But I didn't either. moved from book pre-orders because they want to sell books as units. They're, we want to encourage readers, not just accumulating like funds. Right. The, the, the takeaway from that and from other changes that we've seen and that we will see is that InkShares is keeping its ear to the ground and adapting to their financial reality, the market, and their their growth. They're, so I see this. They, they noticed that that one tier was useless or was not like was a distraction more than anything. They're right. removing it, and a lot of the changes that we're going to, going to be discussing are the same kind of reaction. So moving on. Yeah, yeah. So it's just something that was no longer, uh, you know. Useful, I guess. But anyway, yeah, like you said, like a... moving on. So um, basically what's going to happen now is, uh, well, in the email that they sent yesterday, which I'm sure that you've all read by now, but I'm, uh, I'm just going to briefly, briefly go through the, the uh, little bit of it here. Um, it was costing them an average of about $20,000 or so to produce and market a book from start to finish, okay? So... Uh, they're trying to make this to where, um, at least as far as I understand it, uh, is to reduce some of the risk here. Because I don't know about you, your book personally, but I know for my book, they um, are really taking on a lot, kind of a lot of risk. You know, especially because I'm I'm still looking at a hardcover release, which is a, a difficult thing to kind of market especially from a brand new author, you know, so you, you want my opinion on that? Not on the, the soft cover versus hardcover, but in, in my opinion, it shouldn't, I don't, it's going to sound so stupid. No, 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 it's, it's not stupid. It's, it's going to sound mean. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you or I, or, or any other first time Inkshare's author should choose between hardcover and softcover. That 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 that's a decision. That's a marketing decision. But they're leaving it to us, who are not in a position to make it. Well, I and think they rectified that, in in these changes, which is good. Bad for people after me, but good for people. <laughs> and, and you know, I'll be honest with you, I am still on the fence. And they told me that I have a little while to make my choice because I did talk to Matt and I've talked to um, my production manager at Girl, Girl Friday and. They they ultimately said we're going to support your choice, but you've got to make a choice by this date, and so I'm still you know deciding. Yeah, because to 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 um to sort of clarify it for the, the listener, the the marketing wise, there are some clear disadvantages to going hardcover when you're a first time author. Absolutely, it raises the uh, the on the shelf price of your book. If you're not a known entity, no no one knows who you are. Basically, you're asking them to pay more for an, an untested product, and that makes it difficult to move. However, in in my friend Paul's defense, having a physical hardcover book that you can hold in your hand, like a solid 
physical book. Oh, that must feel so good. <laughs> I don't so, know yet, but you know, I, I will I, know. I yet. lust after the, the oh. hardcover, and it's it was a I, like when I discovered that you were getting a hardcover, and a couple of other writers were getting hardcovers. I I got angry and jealous, and I wanted oh, one man. too. And then I don't be angry and jealous. I mean, well, no, I'm not anymore. Now, oh, okay. I, now I think you're making a mistake. But <laughs> thanks, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, and like I said, I I I still have some time. In fact, uh, we're at the end of October. I have a few weeks before I have to really make this choice. And you know what I'm, I'm going, going to do is I'm just going to ask my readers who, who pre-ordered, you know, hey, listen, can you take this poll or whatever? And we'll see how it goes. And even then, it's, it's ultimately my choice. But I want to see what the stance is out there with the readers and the, and the people who've pre-ordered and the people who have already ordered because I have people who have ordered since the end of the contest up to today. And, you know... They've paid hardcover prices, so and and I don't know this for a fact, but I am under the understanding that they should get a refund if we do decide to switch to um, paperback. You know, so um, again, I don't know whether that's fact. I'm just saying that uh, it might be fact. You know, so so yeah, uh, we can take a look at the next bullet point. Uh, basically, it says every author who hits these new, new pre-order goal will receive a trip to San Francisco to sign books for their backers. That includes like a round trip ticket and um hotel. That's that's so amazing. Yeah, it's it's one night stay and lunch with the Inkshare team. So it's not like you're winning a, an all expense paid vacation to San Francisco. They're they're literally just flying you in, having you sign a bunch of books and and shipping you out. It's it's super cool. It's it's cool for two reasons. One, it's awesome for the backers because they get a signed copy of the book. So let's say you become a an awesome uh, internationally acclaimed writer, they get that and they 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 got the signature early on. But it's also good. It's also and an, the the flip side is that this is a work day for you. <laughs> if yeah, <you're>, exactly. <laughs> if you have seven hundred fifty pre orders and you need to sign all of them. That's a lot of books. That is a lot of books to sign in one day. I'm sure your hand will be very tired. And you know what? Actually, we didn't... Uh, did we talk about the new goal? They, they're getting rid of the um, 1,000. Um, right. And Oh, no, no. They, we, we haven't talked about that. We talked about no. getting rid of the ebook tier. But mm-hmm. what we didn't mention is that what used to be the ebook tier was 750 copies. Right. Has become the new uh, the new normal goal. But yeah, the... Um, uh, physical, I guess, physical book and ebook. I guess they're gonna still do ebook, but um, it'll be the physical for seven fifty. That is gonna be like the push for you, you know, to be funded pretty much. Well, sorta, of, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, uh, yeah, man, I I just am a little bit jealous, you know, some of these authors who are gonna get their uh, seven fifty. I kind of want to fly out to San Francisco, although I did already, um, I did already go out and meet everybody and stuff. So that was cool. I, I was planning on going to to, uh, to ink shares to sign books, meet people, and just, just hang out and see the place Yeah, regardless like uh, of my own dime. And I know I'm not getting the uh, the, the whole free ride thing that Dirk is talking about. No, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. I don't mind. I'll get it for next book, maybe. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> so, the feelings I have. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's... I, I find it's it's a good way of rewarding the the writer and also had, had giving that added value because 
there was nothing unlike say a Kickstarter where you'll get some added value from being uh, from being an early backer or a more expensive backer. Uh-huh. You'll usually get like gimmicks or add-ons, and while you will you can get your name in the book by buying multiple copies on Inkshares. Apart from being, you know, having the bragging rights of doing a pre-order, you didn't really get much. But having that signature, I think, uh, pushes it over the edge. Really makes you feel like you're uh, an early adopter of the book. Yeah, it, it truly does. It's pretty, it's pretty, um, pretty cool actually, because you never know who's going to be the next big, the next big writer. You know, could be any yeah, one of us. And even if you don't become a huge thing, I one of the things that's becoming kind of cool in in new media and uh, this this wonderful world of the internet is people like to feel a connection with the uh, the creators. You can't. That's why, like, I have, I have a few friends who who are big into having a, a pen name or a nom de plume and sort of hiding behind that. Right. And I don't think that's no that's that's any longer a viable model. It's People don't want to be fans of your book. They want to be fans of you and feel a sort of connection to you as as a writer or a creator. So having that, having that signature, is, is it's not just about value or you exploding. Even if you even if you remain just you know an okay writer, professional, you can make a living out of it. But you don't need to become J.R. Martin for that signature to have value to the people who pre-order your book. Right, and you know we kind of touched on that. In episode zero, when we were talking about you're really selling yourself, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, you're selling, you know, you're selling the book, too, but you're really just selling yourself. That, that's why people like uh, like Jameson and, and John Robin are amazing at what they do, exactly. because they're just being awesome. People makes it easy for them to sell themselves and, and by uh, by connection, their product. So. The next bullet point has me really excited because I'm I'm a bit of an artist. I like illustrating things. Yeah. And basically what it says is that pre-order prices, which include both an ebook and a signed first edition physical book, for trade paperbacks will be oh wait, I'm reading the wrong thing. <laughs> if author if authors want to offer an additional incentive, for example, a t shirt, poster, mug, coloring book, at the ten dollar copy pre order level, we will create these upon request. It's the author's responsibility to fulfill that request afterwards, but it's still something that we couldn't add as an incentive that we now can sort of negotiate. Yes. And that to me is a huge And that's what um, and that's what John is doing with the the dragon level. Yeah, and I don't think it's a secret that this this idea is inspired by what John did. I don't either. I mean, I think they actually just took it right from him and said, "Hey, can we use this?" And you know, he's so awesome. So he was like, "Yep." Um. So yeah, as as a guy who does illustrations, like I've been wanting to do something like bookmarks and stuff like that to uh, to add to. Uh, to certain pre-orders, and I that opens the door for me to do that. So I'm going to be looking into this one very seriously. That, that's really awesome. And uh, we can go back to that other one that you were talking about. This is kind of some people are on the fence here, so I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm, that I wanted to keep. That okay, one well, for let's later, save that right? one for the end. No, no, not not for later. Well, I wanted to keep it for now. I want to talk about all the good things, and then sort of edge into. How like the, the 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 swing of the pendulum the other way because there's a lot of cool things like the trip to yeah. San Francisco being the the, the lower mm-hmm. um, goal but as you discussed earlier I mean there's a there's a production cost that's rather steep to getting those right. books on shelves so if if they're giving more where are they taking that's right them? and and that's where this one comes in um, 
what's going to happen is the pre-order prices are actually going to increase um, just a little bit, not a whole lot. I don't, I don't think it's a whole lot, but um, for the trade paperbacks, twenty dollars, okay, and that's the signed first edition and the ebook, okay. That's what you'd get at that level, you know. Um, if you have a trade hardcover, it would be thirty dollars for again the signed first edition and the ebook. And uh, they do things like children's books too, which um, I didn't. I mean, I realized that they had some children's books, but I didn't know that they had different prices or set things. But anyway, children's book will be thirty dollars, and a graphic book um, such as cookbook or our book or something along those lines would be fifty dollars pre-order price. Um, again, signed first editions and eBooks. So, which, which is cool because i mean you, you say it's not a big increase but it is as far as the trade paperbacks are concerned that doubles the price well it does double the price but like you said a second ago you're kind of paying for this premium of getting the signatures um your book and you're getting that kind of extra incentive absolutely no i'm and i'm not against the increase to a 20 dollar uh for, for the paperback in fact the price increase doesn't bother me across the board as as a marketing guy, I, I understand where that's coming from. I understand what you're oh. getting from it. Most people that are there to back you, like we've been relying a lot on these contests on saying, oh, you can get my book for free or you can get my book for cheap. Right. And that works-ish, but I think I have I, I think there's no problem in saying you can get my book for twenty dollars, it's the first edition and sell it on the exclusivity and people will still be on board with that too yeah i mean i don't know because i'm not sure i'm not sure how it's going to affect the future you know it, looking at it and saying you know twenty dollars for a trade paperback that seems you know a little bit pricey for a paperback but that's that's because you know i'm looking at it from the standpoint of I go to the store and I look at a paperback and it's like eight ninety nine or something um, U.S. You know, so mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot. It's it's a big difference, but you got to remember that you know these ones at this. I have to remember, I should say, the ones at the store are you know people who've proven they've they have a track record of you know making this happen. Um, and, and these are vastly more mass-produced books and don't necessarily right. have the same quality as the, the those $20 books. You've seen the books that Inkshare produces, and they're oh, not yeah. these are not airport-quality books. They're much better. Yeah, um, and that reminds me. You got a new book in, didn't you? I did. I did. I got Jaina Grace's, um, I think it's Battle for, uh, for Oz. Yep. I've only just started reading it, and so far it's different than what I expected. But I think I think I'm happy with the difference. Yeah. Um, I it's this is probably not the best time to to sort of review it. But well, I'll, I'll finish yeah. reading it and I'll uh, maybe next episode or the episode after. Once I'm done reading it, I'll I'll give a bit of a review. Well, I bring it up because of the quality. What you're talking about the quality because it mm-hmm. is the um the uh, paper uh, the paperback one, right? Correct. Okay. So now you have it there and you can feel it and see it and you have some idea of what it's going to be like. Um, for the life engineered, for example, um, you can see the quality level there, and like you're saying, it is not like these um, paperbacks that are mass produced and there's you know um, lower quality, not not bad quality, just lower quality, you know. 
Yeah, they're. I mean, just the, the the type of paper, the size of the book. Right. The, the size of the book alone makes it is is different. Where these are, I believe they're five and a half by eight or something like something similar like that. They're 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 larger, thicker stock, uh-huh. much like a cleaner print. It's they're not pocketbooks. They're trade paperback, and you've got you got to keep that in mind. And that might be one of the mistakes that Inkshares is making marketing wise with the the presentation of their books. They should have very upfront, very very in your face, and easy to see examples of what they mean by a twenty dollar trade paperback, and what they mean by a thirty dollar children's book, or right. what what exactly is a fifty dollar cookbook or art book. Yeah. So those because, of you listening, you know, that's that's a good suggestion, I think. Exactly, because I a cookbook you can get some pretty cheap cookbooks, but you can also get some cookbooks that will be upwards of hundred dollars. Yeah, oh yeah. Because of how they're printed, I mean they're full color. Usually, like a good, a really good cookbook will have plastic laminated pages that you can spill sauce on, and they'll still be fine. You can just wipe it away. That's right. And if that's the kind of cookbook that they're talking about, fifty dollars is really not that much. No, it's not. It's not a bad. It's not a bad price. Um, but some people are going to be. Uh, I hesitate to say unhappy, but they're going to not like this particular change. And I mean, I can totally understand where they're coming from because, like you said, it is doubling the price there. Mm-hmm. It's the 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 problem I see is that it's not necessarily a bad price, but it's a change in the the way they're marketing the books mm-hmm. because whereas we used to market these as these are cheap books they're they're, they're bargain basement prices right. they're no oh, it, it's about getting a book for almost nothing and that was really cool to get people on board but that's not necessarily the model that you want to go forward with because obviously it's not financially viable forever right. but at the same time there's there's a principle in in, um, in in marketing about setting value. The reason why someone is ready, to, you know, is willing to pay, say, a hundred dollars for a baseball cap just because of a logo, is because there is a certain, like I say, there, there's the value that you assign an object or purchase is sometimes not just affected by the quality of the object, but also affected by the price. Now, this works with $100 baseball caps, but it also works by, you know, it, that increases sort of, sort of the perceived value of the cap, but it also works the other way. If I'm giving you a book, you will have this preconceived notion that this book can't be that good. It's it probably not that incredible. I mean, it was free. Right, I got gotcha. you. Meanwhile, I if, I, if I sell you a book for $20, well, that's $20 worth a book, so... Right, so it it, it gives it it's a, about the perceived yeah, value. it gives it a um, well perceived value is the best the best way to put it. Um, and you know, just people, I think for a while, the nature of people is that you know most of us are resistant to change, especially when we get in our comfort zone. You know what I mean? So, so mm-hmm. um, I think that it may take a little bit of time for it to sink in, but definitely, I think by the time that um, uh, next generation, and I don't mean like by years, but I mean like the people who come after us to start um, their funding, you know, they'll be fine. It'll it'll be fine. You know, it's a process that they they will never know any different. And I think that they, you know, they'll always say, oh, $20, that, that's not that bad. 
you know, so. Yeah, and th- there are some steps that ink shares can take, better illustrate what the finished products are now that they have a few that they've actually created, like getting getting a good photography session of some of these different types of books so that people can see what they're getting and understand what the products actually are will also make a huge yes, difference. Yes, absolutely. And maybe showcasing that, like, you know, right out the gate, like you said, you know, so people understand that they're getting a quality trade paperback and not just this mass marketed, you know, cheap paperback, you know. Um, mm-hmm. This is bookshelf quality right, books. There. Right, it is. Um, also, uh, there's another bullet point on here that is, can be seen as a little controversial. And um, you probably have a different opinion about it or, or, you know, more of an opinion, I guess, because it doesn't affect me all that much. Considering that, you know, I'm from the United States, you know, I'm, I'm considered domestic and you're considered international being in Canada. Um, mm-hmm. This uh, they're going to start charging uh, $15 shipping for international shipping. Yeah, that one is, that one hits very hard on the uh, on, on the Canada side because it's, it's especially frustrating because Canada is so close to the United right. States. It's very hard to understand when, where that fifteen dollars uh, comes from. Now, here's the thing: I would rather have free or much cheaper shipping because it will make it. It would with the increase in price for the book, adding another fifteen dollars. That means it's a thirty-five dollar USD book to uh, to to get for pre-orders. I won't lie to you. As far as the Canadian market is for pre-orders, that pretty much murders it i will have a very hard time convincing anybody except my best friend and family to pre-order a copy at 35 dollars. would you would you say that also pretty much murders the um international market altogether because um someone like well i wouldn't say i wouldn't say murder because i have and I'm speaking a bit out of class by saying this because I'm not from, say, Europe. I got, I got you. But I have, I have a feeling that it's more acceptable to pay that kind of shipping to have something sent from overseas than it is to just – because Canada is so close to the U.S. It is frustrating. Yes, I, I understand. Um, someone like um, Paul Robinson, for example, um, if he was to hit the physical goal uh, of 750 copies – he may be looking at, or his readers, I guess, maybe looking at a little bit of angst because of having to pay an extra fifteen dollars. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, by the way, you know, I want to see him succeed too. I mean, I really like, I really like his story. That was one of the ones I chose to do a little um, audio excerpt on because I like it. I think it's really good. Um, that Paul Paul Roberts says, "Go yes, to war." Yes, right? war. Yep. Yeah, that looks so yep. good. And um, so, anyway. Uh, I think that it's going to be has the potential to be a game changer as far as people buying books from over from you know internationally. Uh, for example, like right now, Ageless has uh, every continent in the world, with the exception of Antarctica and Africa. Someone has purchased um, Ageless, um, and I think that's going to be something that you're going to see less of. You know, definitely. Um... Here, here's the reality of it. There's, there's two things to keep in mind. I've done a lot of shipping back and forth with the United States from Canada. And although I find $15 to be excessive, I know that is not a, a price that Inkshare picked. I know that that's how much 
people charge like post Canada and USDS. Right. So for some reason, hate each other. And whenever you want to ship something over our flimsy little border between Canada and the US, <laughs> it costs a fortune. Uh, I know this because uh, Life Engineered used to be on CreateSpace. And I had some friends and family order books and had to pay the shipping. And the shipping was more than the actual book by a factor of two. So it's it's not just ink shares. It's even it's companies. CreateSpace, by the way, is owned by Amazon. So yeah, it's not yeah. like they're a tiny little you know thing. So even large companies are suffering from this. There might be work workarounds, and, and uh, the people at InkShares are looking at finding one of these workarounds so that they at least at least for Canada and hopefully for Europe. But and this this may be print on demand. It may be something else. But until they find that workaround, I don't think we're going to see many international orders, and that hurts the reader more than it hurts the writer at least as far as i'm concerned right and you know i I agree i tend to agree with you because like you said outside of your circle of family and really close friends it's going to be hard to get like the guy down the street or the guy that you work with and you you know might say hey to every once in a while to actually pick up a copy of your book because you're looking at um 35 dollars now instead of 20 or if you got a, if you want to go hardback, you know, you're looking at forty five dollars instead of twenty. Or if you have a cookbook, even let's talk that, you're looking at sixty five dollars instead of fifty. You know, and I mean that that becomes a hard, a hard thing to sell to people who you only know marginally or don't know at all. Now here's the, I say the saving grace behind that, and this this might only apply to me. I know that for people like Brian Guthrie who wrote Rise, who um, who did win the uh, the uh, the nerdist contest? Mm-hmm. Um, who he's in Europe that might hurt him more than it does me because I I still have a easier access to the U.S. market because right. here, here's the workaround I have. Here's why I'm not necessarily stepping away from uh, from ink shares is even though I'm Canadian, if I look at my dashboard of sales, most of my sales are from the U.S. Now. Obviously, I take a huge hit by not having my immediate geographically close friends and family be able to pre-order or having them you know, make much more of a sacrifice to pre-order if they do. So I'm, I'm going to lose a, a ton of pre-orders there. But if Inkshare has enough of a, how can I say, a critical <clears throat> mass of readers and most of them are from the U.S. and I hustle at... You know, I, I concentrate most of my mar- my marketing and go to U.S. cons and promote there. I can potentially reach my pre-order goal, which is lower now. So 750 copies only in the U.S. market. And then my friends and family can support me by pre-ordering from, from chapters and Indigo, Barnes & Nobles, Amazon.ca, right. and essentially ordering from nationally, you know, from Canadian retailers and not having to pay the insane shipping. So it's not optimal. It's it sucks, and I hope they find a workaround. But it's not catastrophic. Well, yeah, you're right. It's not catastrophic, and uh, I think that they will figure. I think that they will figure something out in the future. But I think right now they just they're getting really like kind of beat up on the shipping prices, especially far overseas. You know, I mean, like overseas. Um, not necessarily like with us, where it's just the border. You know. So, um, mm-hmm. but even like you said, they charge a lot because uh, apparently they don't get along. <laughs> I don't know enough about it, but it's 
I, I I have trouble understanding how come shipping between the U.S. and Canada is so is so expensive, and it's it's really not just companies, domestic, you know, for uh, for individuals, it's the same thing. It's I've I've shipped I I shipped a sketchbook with a bunch of sketches to one of my friends in Utah, and I got charged about I think twenty five dollars. Wow, that's that's excessive. I think. It is. It, it was literally about five times the price of the actual book, <laughs> minus wow. the art. So it's. I'm not surprised by the shipping costs. I'm, but I actually, I'm not. I'm not hurt by Inkshare's decision. I'm hurt by the uh, the realities that it implies. So, but we'll look. Like I said, I've I've figured out how to adjust my marketing to uh, to work better. There you go concentrating on the u.s i know it's going to be harder for european writers like people like brian guthrie who is i think he's in frankfurt or uh, or paul that's in who's, who's in australia i yeah. believe this is going to be much more difficult for them because it's not like they can just drive over the border to go to new york comic-con or go to balticon as easily as i can yeah. so i do still have a geographic advantage that i can exploit the u.s market easier well you know- so i'm ho- i'm hoping they find a workaround uh, so am I. In fact, I saw an, a some kind of suggestion on the um, forum, the Goodreads forum. Uh, I, I can't remember who said it right now, but someone wrote in, um, are, are they still going to have the ebook option only to purchase? Because that would help because there you don't have to pay for shipping. So if they still sell ebook only, um, I know that they're doing away with the um, ebook tier. But uh, that doesn't mean that, you know, that they won't still just sell ebooks. Like right now, you could, if you if you choose, you could buy an ebook of Life Engineered or Ageless or um, mm-hmm. Blood Dawn or uh, Rune of the Apprentice. You know what I mean? Like uh, that would actually help out a lot. But in the funding phase, I'm not sure that they're going to have an ebook only purchase. The that was actually John Robin that uh, that suggested oh, was that. I, I, and I think his, his suggestion was for people to be allowed to pre-order but only receive an ebook version, I see. so that they maybe at a lower price, so that they can still contribute, but at least, but not not be double charged, if you will, by having to pay for shipping right. too. Because you know you're almost like, double charged if you're getting the trade paperback. Because because that's that's a good example. I could. I would have an easier time going to some of my friends and saying, "Hey, can you pre-order my book for twenty dollars? You'll really help me out." It's, but it's only a digital version. I bet I can get my friends to do that. But if I say, "Oh yeah, it's going to be a physical version, but it's going to be thirty-five dollars," that's where that's where they'll they'll balk. Yeah, and then you could just say, "Well, you know, they're gonna they're gonna fly me to San Francisco, though." I, you know what, my friends are really cool. <laughs> I don't know how much me getting a trip to what San Francisco will affect their decision. Uh, also, I just thought about this. Um, someone like uh, like Brian or Paul who are overseas, Inkshares are going to be willing to foot that bill because from Australia, it's got to be expensive. Mm. It Yeah, it, it's... My flying to San Francisco, because I've been looking at tickets recently, is roughly about $600, $650 Canadian. Um, I'm pretty sure it's at least double that from Australia. That's what I'm thinking. Also, one nightmare of a trip. Yes, because it has to be forever. Uh, I mean, a long, long trip. I mean, same thing from. Um, did you say Frankfurt? Is that where? I think. I think. Yeah. So. I mean, that's. I could, I could be wrong if I am. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's still either way. Anywhere from in Europe is going to be a long trip to San Francisco. I mean, 
So I wonder, I kind of, part of me wonders like how much thought was put into the overseas um, authors, like bringing them here. Because my idea, and I, and I put this in the forum, my idea was have the um, printing company print inserts, not inserts necessarily, but like pages, just those pages, ship the pages, have the author sign them, then um, ship the pages back. Because, and the, I, the reason I had this idea is I actually saw an author, he made a little short YouTube video, and he, he showed the stack of 5,000 pages that he had to sign, and he's like, and he just told how it worked. He said, they shipped me these pages, these are actual pages from the book, um, I got to sign all these pages, then I ship them back. And I mean that that right there, cost it cost effective I think because honestly shipping a thousand sheets of paper versus shipping a person and putting them up for a night, um, I just don't know if that is. I I don't want to say it's not sustainable because I have no idea how much it costs and maybe they have something worked out with a hotel or 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 you know an airline or something I don't know but. Um, it just seems like it would be less sustainable than just shipping the pages. Do you know what I mean? No, I understand what you mean. I, I'm i of the feeling that like a lot of what Inkshares is doing, they're trying it out. Yes. They're seeing is this something that we can do, how like we're going to do it for six months and or maybe for this amount of books and see what that gives us in the end. It, does it, is it sustainable? Is it too much of a nightmare? Because they, obviously they have a good idea of how many overseas writers they have. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sure that they have all so, those statistics. So they, they probably looked at that before deciding if that was something they were willing to risk doing. Because obviously the authors that they have in California are not going to cost them nearly as much as, say, the people from overseas. Right. So maybe they're hoping that that kind of balances out. Maybe they maybe they're they budgeted, okay, well, there's we, we're budgeting $500 for the ticket. Uh, I don't know, $70 for the night and they're $30 for the meal for a total of $600. And some people are going to cost us significantly less because they're, they're local. And some people are going to cost us significantly more because they're really far overseas, but we're hoping it balances out. Well, I mean, I, I can imagine, I can only imagine that that's exactly what happened. But again, your $600 could go down to like $60 if you just ship the pages. But, I don't know what's going on there, and you know, I say that now, and you know what's going to happen is I'm going to I'm going to fund um, Motor City Chronicles, and then that's the week they're going to stop doing it. You know that? <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping. <laughs> I hope to not. Be to honest. <laughs> I we'll, we'll see. But the, the the thing this goes back to something that I said when we uh, at the beginning of the podcast is Inkshares is demonstrating a, uh, a malleability of like adapting to things as they move along and trying new things and and changing, which I believe is a lot wiser than picking a static model and saying, no, this works, this will work. And this is how we're going to do it. I totally agree with you there because I think that them um, just being flexible and, and saying, look, we're not stuck in, in this mode. We're willing to get outside of it and we want to try other things. And not only that, but, um, if you are not part of the forum on Goodreads that we have over there, uh, they came to us. Jeremy came to us and said, listen, this is what we're thinking about doing. We want to get your feedback, which is an amazing thing because uh, that does not happen in many companies. I mean, uh, I guess I guess you could call us like maybe a focus group, but for me, it didn't feel like we were a focus group 
because we're part of the the um, community, for lack of a better word, you know. Well, to, to me, to me, it did feel like we were in a focus really? group, okay. but I, I, well, I, because I don't have the negative negative stigma that most people have about focus groups. Oh, I, well, I, I, I can see that, and I don't have a negative, not not really, but I mean, I understand that we were a focus group, but I'm just saying it felt more like, hey guys, um, we want to include you in on this more than like focus group. You know, to me in my mind, no, focus absolutely. group is like it's, you just gathered a bunch of people that you don't know, you don't have any connections with, you don't care about, you don't. You you put them in a room with a one way right. mirror and you observe their right. reaction. That that's that's actually not how focus groups work well, at all. So you you would know focus better. groups are actually ex- focus groups are actually inc- you know incredibly interactive um, with the uh, like there, there's obviously there there's a cold trial mm-hmm. trial period mm-hmm. when they're like let's say people are given variations of a product to see their reaction, but everything from after that say five minutes it's it's all conversation discussion questions suggestions etc. Cetera, et cetera. So focus groups are actually a lot of fun. Oh, cool. Well, I did not know that. But, well, I guess my point was, though, it it made a lot of us feel really like, it made a lot of us feel like included, you know? So. Well, it it highlights the fact that InkShares is, has, say, the the understand that the writers are, first of all, they're a free and very useful, knowledgeable uh, resource as far as information. So. It's like what we're seeing, those changes, all those bullet points that we went through, they're just, just for the reader, the, the listener's uh, information. This, is the, the, this isn't the first offer that Inkshare came to us with that they just went with. This, this is an adaptation, and we mentioned that some of those bullet points were borrowed from, say, from, say John right. Robbins' suggestion. These, these are things that are distilled from our recommendations, suggestions, and the back and forth we had with Inkshare. So it's it's heartening to see that they take what we say into consideration. But I'm also, and this is going to sound kind of bizarre, but I'm reassured that they didn't just say, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do whatever stuff that you're asking us to do, and that they're taking into account their own you know, financial solvability. Oh, yeah. Because I don't, I don't want InkShare to go uh, bankrupt in no, a year. No, neither do I. I mean, like, because like you, I am running a second campaign, and I'd like to see this campaign make it get funded and, you know, get out there. I mean, for lack of a better word, you know, go out and be marketed and pushed out and Ink Shares grow as a company and just keep on expanding and getting bigger. I mean, obviously, you know, we're symbiotic of each other. You know, we want to help each other out. Mm-hmm. And even if I wasn't running a second campaign, I need Inkshare to look good because the better Inkshare looks, the better the life engineer is going to look on on the shelves, and that's important to me because I'm selfish and I want my book to to, to sell well. And uh, yeah, so so does everybody. I, I would think. I would hope. Um, oh, absolutely. Uh, there's one more thing that actually wasn't bullet pointed in this uh, email, but this is actually, in my opinion, this is one of the neat one of the neatest parts of this whole um, change. They're actually going to be um, rolling out a new funding tier. So they're going to have, a, it's still going to be a dual tier like the 750 and 1000, but now it's going to be a uh, lower pre-order goal, which gets you what they're, what they're calling light publishing. So um, that, that goal is going to now be 250 pre-orders. So with your light publishing, you're going to, um, 
be added into an an unnamed as yet unnamed um, collection on Inkshares, and you'll get a an ISBN number, and you'll get a light edit, which you know, I'm not really clear on what that means yet, but I would think that it means like maybe a a copy edit um, dev edit combo in one. You know what I mean? So like a one mm-hmm. run through um, where they someone does both of those things in one run one run through but that's just me guessing i don't know um and you're going to get some limited distribution uh including physical and digital from amazon.com and they're going to be basically doing like a print on demand version for those particular books that that reach that 250 pre-order goal i i'll be completely honest with you i i'm i'm glad that this exists I am not the target uh, writer for that. I am one of the things that I love the most about Inkshare is the the in-depth and professional editing process that we go through. And I'm not saying that this is going to be less professional, but it is. I mean, you're calling it light edit for a reason. Right. This isn't the same thing. And maybe it's because I'm not confident in my writing, or because I I just enjoyed the I enjoyed my experience with the back and forth with my my editor so far. But having the, uh, the the full experience, if you will, is very important to me, at least at this point in my career. Well, I can tell you where where I'm sitting at, at the point in where ageless development is. Um, I have very, very much enjoyed all of the back and forth and everything that is happening in the process. And uh, I, I'm really thinking right now that this process is one of the coolest things about having a book, you know? Like writing the book and everything, mm-hmm. that was a lot of fun and that was a good time and it was hard work and I really enjoyed it. But now this part of it is really like, wow, you know, this is really amazing, interesting stuff and I really, I'm really, really enjoying it. So I think I'm with you. This is not necessarily a tier for me, but that doesn't mean that I won't, you know, if if for some reason like Motor City Chronicles doesn't, uh, can't get up to the 750, I can't, I can't, you know, make enough pre-orders then you know this is a also an option um so well i'll I'll give you an example where this works out very well Uh, paul robinson uh was super excited Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. uh, ghost of war will be flipping over to that system come november 1st and essentially that means it's going into production but paul is also someone that's probably a lot more confident in his writing than i am (laughs) he's already got an amazing cover like he's got everything going so to him all he needed was the the distribution channel the, that light edit um also maybe I'm, I'm canadian so i get my isbns for free so that just oh. doesn't well. doesn't do much for me but i mean it to, to him that was that was that one last gate that needed to be opened for him to be able to publish ghost of war so for for him that works out i can imagine that for both people who are very confident in their product and confident in their writing, who are comfortable with self-editing or have other editing right. resources, um, or people who are just new and don't feel that they need more than, than, than the 250 pre-order level gets them, this is an amazing thing. This is a, a great option. I'm more I'm more insecure. I'm I'm, uh, I'm I'm I feel I need more editing. I. I, I want that higher process, so I'm always going to be hunting for the 750. Right. I also believe that in a year or so, once Inkshare really gets the ball rolling, has a lot of reader, has a lot of reader interaction, 
I don't think a 250 um, bracket is going to be necessary at all. Anyways. So you think it's going to go the way of the e- e-book tier? Yeah. I think that right now this is something that's... I think it's an Inkshare experiment. They want to see... Because if I look at it from a marketing standpoint, the 250 pre-orders, obviously, well, it's not probably not going to pay for much of what they're offering. It's going to, like, the same way the $750 uh, 50 pre-order doesn't pay for the entire production. Right. This 250 pre-orders won't pay for the entire production. Like it, it's what they're. I think what they're experimenting, and maybe maybe they can contradict me if I'm wrong. But I think what they're experimenting is to see can we publish a book with fewer pre-orders and take more of the risk on ourselves. What happens if we don't have as many pre-orders? We put out a book and can it do well? post-publication interesting interesting theory and especially because they're going to the print on demand so i i i see them trying two things at once here so um Mm -hmm. i don't know if that means that they are um thinking of maybe getting out of publishing with with the print company that they're they're using or i'm not sure about that but um i i think you're right i think this is definitely experiment i'm not necessarily sure that it's going to go away because there are a lot of books, well, you know, uh, you know, a percentage of books that can get to this 250 or maybe 300 or maybe 400 and not get all the way up to um, the 750. I'm thinking, for example, um, uh, I can't think of the name of the book, Sixth Place in the Nerdist Contest. Um, um, not Catcher's Trap. Uh, it might the, be the, the. It's all fun and games. It's all fun and games. Um, was that was Is no? It? I think it was Catcher's Trap. It might be also. I can't remember. I can't remember either. I'm looking. I'm trying to look. Oh no! It was Catcher's Trap. Catcher's Trap was in sixth place. He, he it only funded later. I think. Yeah. Has it, it? Has it Anyways, funded? I believe so. Well, that's it. At least <clears throat> it at least got to seven fifty. No, that's great. So, um, but a book like um a book like let's say the tenth place book um in in the contest. They may not make it to 750, but they may make it to 500 or 650. So I mean that that means that their readers can still get something. And I and I and I agree with what you're saying that they're experimenting to see if this book that makes it to 500 is it going to fi- find a market, you know, or this book that makes it to 300 is it going to find a market, and you know how's it mm-hmm. going to do? Because, let let's say let's say those 250 pre-order bracket books. Mm-hmm tend more often than not to post publication once you know after they're gone to production they, they're put on sale and they more than make up their money like once they're put once they're put on shelves then their orders the the the, the on average get say 2000 orders right. for a total of 2250 orders that means that inkshare can probably drop the 750 pre-order for the premium publishing down to 500 because they know that on average, the risk reward tends to favor reward. However, if those, let's say now the, the, the 750 pre-order never go above, say, 800 on average. Right. I mean, obviously, you'll have things that go higher than that. And I'm, this is completely theoretical because I, I believe that on, on average, they'll, they'll be higher. But let's, let's say they, they do that. Like, and you have a bunch of books that get to 750, but once they get to 750 and they, they get produced, once they hit the shelves, they don't, they don't go above, say, another, like, another 200 copies above that. 
then that 750 pre-order model might not be working. So th- this is the kind of thing that this is why I'm glad to see him adjusting no- numbers, try out new things, try out new new experiments, is that this is where they're going to find their sweet spot for the pre-order numbers. And even that sweet spot, uh, as the years progress, is going to change. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I agree with you. Uh, I'm, I'm actually taking a look at um, the uh, books from the contest right now, and I'm just kind of tallying up just a little bit real quick about um, how many books that look like they're going to fund when it switches over. So it's like 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, at least 13 books look like they're going to fund at the 250 tier um, once the flip happens. And now obviously their campaigns are still going on, uh, I think for the majority of them. I didn't click in to see, but the majority of them still have campaigns going on. And I, I would hope that they're going to try to push to that 750 but at the end of their mm-hmm. campaign, that, that means that they, uh, like Paul Robinson, for example, are going to have some level of funding for their uh, uh, publication, I mean, for their book. Um, and I see that your book, A God in the Shed, is actually in that range, above that range, above that range. Right. Well, Gun in the Shed right now is uh, slightly above 400 pre-orders. Mm-hmm. I am still going to gun very hard for 750. Yeah. Why would you not? Um, you know, why would you not? Especially you being more um, than halfway there, I mean, so. Exactly, I'm 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 going to to extend my uh, my campaign, and and try to get to 750 because that's this is where I feel comfortable. Yeah. So we're this this has been a super long yes, episode. It has. Obviously, we had a lot to talk about. So I I hope our listeners were able to listen to this in a couple of uh. Separated by segments, if you will, yeah. uh, and and have been patient with us. But the uh, we we like I said, we had a lot to talk about, uh, and we didn't want to not talk about books. So, well, there you have extra long first episode, like a pilot. Yeah, like a second pilot for us, though. You know. <laughs> Yeah, but this this one's a bit less experimental. Episode zero was to just to test the water, see if we work well together, and I, I think it, I think we do so yeah. far. Oh yeah, I hope people agree, and, and I hope so too. So, so Paul, um, let's let's say you're not writing, and people want to communicate with you. How how would they find you on these fine internet? Well, I have a Twitter. Um, you can look me up on Twitter. It is at Paul Inman S C, as in South Carolina. Paul Inman P A U L I N M A N S C. Um, that is a pretty, pretty easy way to find me, or you can check out my website at www.paulinmansc.com and you can see all the cool create, well, cool quote unquote creative things that I do, um, and, uh, learn a little bit more about me. And, um, you could also find me on ink shares just by searching my name, Paul Inman, and you can see the, um, Ageless, which is in production right now, and you can see the funding campaign for Motor City Chronicles Book One Transgressions. What about you, JF? Where can everyone find you? Well, obviously, I, I have the Twitter going on too. You can find me on Twitter at JF Dubo. That's J F D U B A A U. And for anything else that relates to what I do, you can find that on my website at slash books. That's J F D U B E A U dot com slash books. And I think that will be it for our first episode of Right Brain. Thank you, everybody, for listening and for being patient with us. And we will have something else for you next week. Mm-hmm.